Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Dementia Researcher podcast and the Food for Thought series. I'm your host, Dr. Sam Moxon, and regular blogger here at Dementia Researcher. And today I'm joined by New York Times bestselling author and physician, Dr. Michael Greger. Michael Greger is famous for the book, How Not to Die, and the corresponding cookbook, How Not to Diet. And next year he's releasing a new book, How Not to Age, primarily about the best way to prevent dementia with diet and lifestyle. It was a really fascinating discussion, and I hope you enjoy it. So, Michael Gregor, welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast. How are you today? I'm doing so uh, so good, and uh, I'm so excited to hear that there's a Dementia Research podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, it's growing as well. It's really exciting to build this audience. And also, we're building an audience of people who are interested in food and dementia research. So let me start with my opening question, which I think sets the scene quite nicely. What did you eat for breakfast today? Oh, what I ate for breakfast? Oh, God. Okay, so what I call grotenola, which is a uh, kind of a homemade uh, granola made out of buckwheat groats, um, uh, mashed sweet potato, and rolled oats. That's the base. You can add some pumpkin pie spice powder, whatever. Um, And then you bake it at, oh, sorry, I don't know the Celsius, 250 degrees Fahrenheit for... Uh, one and a half hours gets nice and crispy. Um, then mix that with berries. Today I had blackberries, blueberries, and something called autumn olive, which is a native plant um, where I am in Virginia that makes these wow. beautiful little starry berries, um, along with uh, walnuts, pumpkin seeds, um, a Brazil nut, and some cocoa powder um, with a little cardamom for flavor, anything else. Um, and then some uh, unsweetened uh, soy milk. And we are good to go. That sounds great. Sweet potato at breakfast. That's because I had sweet potato at lunch. I had sweet potato and black bean chili. Like it's 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 Ooh. it's a power food. I think sweet. I love that, sweet what a oh, what a perfect meal. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I used to. I went to med school in Boston, and though it was during the winters, what you do is you you know microwave some sweet potatoes. You put them in your pockets as hand warmers. Okay. And then, uh, just when they get cool enough, you take them out in a nice little healthy snack. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's delicious sweet potato. So um, I want to start by, by thanking you for joining us. I've been a follower of your, your work for a number of years now. Um, my story is that I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis early last year, and my partner was reading How Not to Die at the time. And oh. she, she said, we need to try a plant-based diet. And the difference it's made to me has been huge. But it got ah. me down this path of exploring other diseases where diet and lifestyle could be either acutely effective or preventative. And I enjoy your work because the amount of research that goes into anytime you release a short video, anytime you release a bit of content, you always link the studies. And so you've done a lot of research into not just dementia, but many diseases. But if we can focus on dementia, we talk a lot about dementia and lifestyle. And I've seen you speaking about your maybe concerns with treating something like, say, Alzheimer's disease acutely. The idea that when someone's diagnosed with Alzheimer's, a lot of the damage is irreversible. So is prevention the best strategy for something like Alzheimer's disease? And if so, how powerful is diet and lifestyle in that, in that sort of equation? Um, uh, prevention is key. Really, you could say that about pretty much any disease. Certainly dementia is not. Um, well, you know, prevention probably takes a specific, uh, is a special case there because there are diseases like hypertension, obesity, type 2 diabetes that you can actually reverse. And so even, you know, if you get to them early enough, you can actually go from, you know, having high blood pressure to normalizing your blood pressure, hopefully before you have a stroke or kidney damage or damage to your eyes. Whereas with many types of dementia, this is not all, there are reversible 
uh, causes of dementia, such as B12 deficiency, such as hydrocephalus. You put a drain in, you can um, uh, reverse dementia rather dramatically. Um, so there are few reversible causes of dementia, of course. And let me just take a moment to emphasize how critical it is to make sure to exclude any and all reversible sources of dementia before being slapped with an Alzheimer's diagnosis. You've actually um, just answered it, one of my questions because I heard your story about your mother. So if you can. Oh my talk. God. Oh, I'm so glad. So yeah, my, my can, can I, do you mind if I yeah, share yeah, that story really quick? Yeah, this yeah. is just, just, oh my God. The, uh, one of the most uh, tragic and then untragic stories in my life where my mom um, was, uh, was diagnosed um, with uh, not just uh, Alzheimer's dementia, but Lewy body dementia. It was kind of like, you know, Alzheimer's yeah. and fast forward. Um, and, uh, and I, I get long story short. I mean, it's, it was, so of course, rocked the whole family. Um, her mom died of Alzheimer's very horribly and tragically and ugly. And, uh, and we both actually, um, uh, dealt with, uh, um, dealt with that, that horrible episode. And so sort of the thought of my mom going down the same path. Um, it was horribly tragic. Turns out she had uh, normal pressure hydrocephalus, um, which um, causes these, you know, these dementia symptoms. But you do this amazing test. You do this, um, uh, this one of the most dramatic things I've ever seen in medicine, where um, what's happening is there's buildup of fluid in the brain and just compresses the brain. And so you have this kind of global cognitive decline. Yeah. Um, and the way you see if it actually is is you do a lumbar puncture, a little spinal tap, you draw out some, um, some, a few cc's of fluid just to relieve that pressure. And what happens is all of a sudden you bounce back. So my mom yeah. went from not recognizing who I was to all of a sudden completely normal with her multiple degrees and, and, and brilliance and literally within minutes. And then had this, um, you know, flowers of Algernon in reverse um, hour after hour as the pressure builds up and she fades away. Uh, so all you have to do is put a little shunt in, drain out the fluid, and all of a sudden you are back. But imagine all the people who were diagnosed, and this was multiple physicians, neurologists, diagnosed her with these irreversible dementias, either Alzheimer's, Lewy body disease, in which case what? There's nothing you can do, essentially. No. Um, and she would have got worse, 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 and then died. Yeah. Uh, so you just want to make sure you want to make sure that any and all reversible causes are checked before before um, having a diagnosis that yeah. still is really largely clinical at this point. Always get a second opinion. And we'll, we'll come back on to this a little bit later, because I think, I mean, that, first, that's a great story. It's great to hear that your mother's, you know, has recovered from that. And, and, you know, you had eventually a positive experience in the end. You know, I think that that's a really powerful story. And. So we've we talked wanting to talk about sort of the the nitty gritty of what we can do to help reduce the risk of those irreversible forms of dementia, the kind that perhaps scare us the most because they seem so inevitable in terms of if you have it, it seems like there's not much you can do, and that, that is true to a point. But we've spoken to a number of people now. We've spoken to Neil Barnard, Dean Scherzai, and they they share a message which I think you you subscribe to as well is that there are things we can do to significantly reduce our risk, particularly around vasculature. I've heard dementia sometimes, particularly Alzheimer's, called type 3 diabetes, because a lot of the same pathologies can persist in the two diseases. So just to lay this out to us, what is the best thing we can do in terms of diet and lifestyle to reduce our risk of dementia? 
Okay, so glad. And so, uh, and I'll go back and actually answer the first question, which I realized that I didn't do. <laughs> but it's good to punch um, it every now and then. Yeah, yeah, no. So um, there's uh, there's a, a bunch of different uh, scoring set, uh, systems for um, dementia prevention. Um, there's one that I talk about in my new book, uh, How Not to Age, which will be coming out December 2023, so over a year from now. But um, that found that uh, a 50 year old man, for example, who didn't finish high school, is physically inactive, obese, with high blood pressure and cholesterol, is 50 times, five zero times, wow. a more likely to develop dementia compared to a 50 year old who is more educated, active, not obese, normal blood pressure and cholesterol. So we have okay. enormous influence on our risk. Um, and uh, uh, I'm glad you had uh, on some of those other uh, uh, um, folks to talk about. Um, and uh, you can you know, measure the, you know, the, the, the diameter of the cerebral arteries. I mean, you can do, you can, on autopsy, for example, you can see the same kind of atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis is a systemic disease. You don't just get it in your heart, you get it through your aorta, peripheral vasculature, up into your, um, uh, into your, uh, your carotids and into your brain. You can see the same kind of clogging down of blood flow. And so that means yeah. less oxygen to your brain, um, less, uh, you know, uh, you know, removal of waste products, etc., um, which can increase your risk. It's also oxidized cholesterol can get can clog up um, in your brain, and so we can uh, associate high LDL cholesterol levels with not just heart disease, um, but with uh, that, and not just vascular dementia, which is um, uh, kind of this this mini stroke syndrome, yeah. um, but with uh, Alzheimer's dementia as well. Yeah. Um, now, so this was such such an exciting path that you know Dr. Dean Ornish, who was famous for his lifestyle heart trial of reversing the progression of uh, coronary artery disease, number one cause of death for men and women, with a plant based diet and lifestyle um, program, then um, went on to try to reverse the progression of cancer, um, which did with early stage uh, prostate cancer in men. Um, and so if that wasn't uh, a tall enough uh, ladder to climb, um, is currently underway with a yeah, trial yeah. for Alzheimer's. Um, yeah. So is it possible? Um, and so that we can take the same diet that prevents the disease and use it to actually treat and reverse it. We know that's the case for type 2 diabetes, for high blood pressure, um, for obesity. Um, we can do it for uh, some forms of chronic kidney failure. Um, you know, that's the recommendation of the American Institute for Cancer Research. The same diet that prevents cancer is the one you use to treat it after diagnosis. The question is, is, is the brain too far gone? I mean, once yeah. neurons are dead, what, what, you, know, we, we, you know, we bring them back to life. Like, how exactly does that work? Yeah, this, um, is, the, this is the big question. I've worked a lot in, in sort of tissue engineering models of dementia. And one of the questions was can be what I've been asked in the past is you've worked I've worked in regenerative medicine in the past and people said well why can't you just regenerate the brain well you, you can in theory but those once those connections are lost is the personality lost or the memories lost will you get the same person back so in terms of reversing it's like you maybe but what will, what will the person be like after that and you know slowing the progression of an invariably fatal disease. Yeah. I mean, what are the, I mean, I mean, I mean, 
I guess it depends at what point you start out with, but if you're already at a point where you don't, you know, uh, recognize yourself or loved ones in the mirror, like how is prolonging that state necessarily, yeah. um, you know, what should be the treatment goals? Um, fascinating question. So I look all, I have tremendous respect for uh, Dr. Ornish and it takes some tremendous guts to, 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 to put on a, you know, to, to put on a project like that. I can't wait to see the results. I'm skeptical, okay. uh, but, uh, but look, healthy diet can just help. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, you know, the number one killer of breast cancer patients is heart disease. It actually still is heart oh, really? disease because it's, wow. they're, they're diagnosed so late. Uh, most breast cancer, you know, breast cancer commercials are all about young women and ribbons, but most women are breast cancer are, uh, are diagnosed late in life. And actually, it's like neck and neck, but heart disease actually overtakes breast cancer as the leading cause. And wow. so when we say, so so if you don't want to die with breast cancer, eating a heart-healthy diet, it's kind of ironic. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's what's and whether or not that diet helps with breast cancer, okay, um, yeah. it will, you know, it can, you know, it give you enough time to, uh, you know, uh, to try more conventional therapies. Well, I mean, obviously, we're not here to talk about breast cancer, but it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know there are studies showing that things like soy protein can actually, there was always this, this sort of poor attempt to discredit soy as a protein source saying it causes breast cancer, but actually it reduces the risk, studies now suggest. So it's interesting. Right, it reduces risk 30 to 50%, particularly when starting in one's teenage years. Yeah. Um, and then um, improve, a meta-analysis shows improved survival. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, though women eating soy at diagnosis uh, live significantly longer, have significantly lower cancer recurrence rates than women that don't eat soy, and this is controlling for other factors. Though what we don't have um, are randomized controlled trials. How though we do have for flax, so flax seeds, which is another source of these uh, phytoestrogens, a different class of phytoestrogens, we do actually have before and after. Um, breast cancer biopsies, six months of those in a double-blind placebo-controlled um, food study, which is very rare because they ba bake muffins. So flaxseed versus non-flaxseed muffins, which are evidently um, indistinguishable and actually was able to show uh, a significant drop in a number of uh, kind of cancer growth markers, those randomized to flax versus not flax. And it's kind of a very uh, similar phenomenon. That's interesting. So it seems so from what we've talked about in terms of dementia, it seems like, you know, we're talking about things like atherosclerosis. It seems like a low fat diet is a good way to reduce the risk of, of dementia. It seems a fat, fat is a big cause. What about? So yeah, let me just well? let me just push back a little bit. Okay. Uh, it's a low saturated fat. OK, diet. yeah, yeah. So, um, so, and, and I would also say low trans fat diet, but yeah. trans fats essentially been eliminated from the food supply, but low yeah. saturated fat. So, for example, nuts um, are yeah. uh, very fatty, but would not be expected. to increase Yeah, also. yeah. So choose avocados, not 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 chips, basically. No, I, 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 right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but aside from saturated fats, so we've had um, a gastroenterologist on, a guy called Dr. Arne Desmond, and we talked about the gut microbiome and the role the gut microbiome may play in dementia and the way that the foods that we eat can change the microbial diversity and they can potentially release compounds that can be harmful to the brain. Have you been, are you familiar with any of this work and how much do you think the gut microbiome plays a role as well? It's, it's been called the second brain by some people. Um, yeah, um, yeah, in terms of uh, the uh, neuronal density. Let me look, um, uh, that is a great question. Uh, if you, I'm going to pull up 
I did a microbiome check. My my brain is swirling with this new project. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, why you pull it up? I can explain. You know what some of the science revealed, and it's that p- patients who ate predominantly you know, plant-based foods and healthy foods, they had they basically harbored bacteria in the gut that produced high amounts of compounds like butyrate, and butyrate was shown to be neuroprotective. People who are eating processed, mainly westernized diets. Uh, tend to promote the growth of bacteria that can release harmful compounds into the brain and particularly promote the formation of toxic amyloid oligomers in the brain, which can kickstart that process of dementia, which I found very well, interesting. So, well, we do know uh, TMAO is present in human cerebral spinal fluid. That's um, uh, trimethylamine oxide, um, and uh, which is uh, formed um, uh, from... Uh, uh, by our gut microbiome from carnitine okay. and choline found concentrated in red meat and egg yolks. Okay. Um, and uh, we know that uh, TMO levels are higher in those with both mild cognitive dysfunction and Alzheimer's disease. Um, uh, uh, and cause and effect has been established in mice where TMAO supplemented animals suffer from brain inflammation, impaired learning memory, um, which is ameliorated by TMA lowering. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but um, no such causal link has been established in people, um, though there was a Mendelian randomization study suggesting those born with a higher genetic predisposition to higher TMO levels do not appear to grow up with a higher le- risk of, of, uh, of Alzheimer's disease. So that's, that's questioning the role of TMAO in human cognitive dysfunction, even though um, it's been found such in laboratory models. Okay, so the other question I wanted to ask you is then, so if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, so there is evidence that perhaps what I eat is important in terms of brain health. If you were to have a patient come up to you and say, I want to make some dietary changes and I want to try and promote my brain health with the food that I put onto my plate, can you give me, I don't know, five foods that I should try and consume either weekly or daily that can help push me towards not just getting my body healthier, but getting my mind healthier as well? Are there any that you would recommend people to consume? So uh, the uh, directors of the Loma Linda Alzheimer's Prevention Program, uh, they have seven key takeaways in terms of diet um, for dementia prevention. One is uh, reduced processed sugars, so added sugars. Um, Two is reduced saturated fat. Three is reduced um, animal products in general. Um, uh, Four, reduced processed foods like, uh, like, uh, you know, ultra processed junk. Um, number five, uh, some more whole plant foods in general, specifically um, uh, 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 narrowing out uh, greens and beans, legumes, yeah. beans, flippies, chickpeas, and lentils. Also, six is uh, increased fruit consumption, not just all fruits, specifically berries, yeah. um, brightly yeah, colored berries. And then seven is reducing uh, sodium consumption. Okay. So those will be the key takeaways. And so you can see it's both a combination of reducing animal products, processed foods, and increasing whole plant foods, but not whole plant foods in general, specifically greens, berries, and legumes. Yeah, that's great. So that's why you know, I always think it's good to start the day with a bowl of oats with, with berries and flax seeds, tri seeds. It's a great way to get some of those ingredients ticked off earlier in the day. You, know, you can start your day the right way. Now, I also noticed, like we mentioned earlier, you're on your treadmill at the moment. How important is physical exercise in terms of promoting brain health? Oh, yeah, this is, oh, and I, and uh, I found a uh, old little microbiome section too, if you want me to go yeah, we'll, talk we'll, more about that. We can go back to that and then we'll come back to the treadmill afterwards if you want. So let's go back to the microbiome. Okay, uh, re- yeah, revisit, I, I'm, sorry, the sorry, I'm jumping around. Oh, it's yeah, great, so, it's great. Uh, you know, so, I mean, um, uh, there was a remarkable case report 
uh, published called Rapid Improvement of Alzheimer's Disease Symptoms Following Fecal Microbiota Transplantation. Right? This so, idea uh, fascinates me, really fascinates me. It's a, it's a strange way of saying eat healthier. This is cool. Yeah. Right. So, um, so the US FDA only allows fecal transplants in clinical medicine for the treatment of uh, recalcitrant uh, infections with a bad bug known as uh, C. diff. Yeah. Um, but because of that, there's been a lot of people that have gotten fecal transplants. And so what we see are these kind of serendipitous improvements in these case reports. Um, so, for example, um, people who were bald all of a sudden grew back hair after a fecal transplant or improvements in multiple sclerosis. Well, the dementia um, report involved an 82-year-old man with a five-year history of gradually declining memory and cognition. His minimal state exam was 20 out of 30 that would be indicating a mild cognitive impairment but okay. two months after that fecal transplant from his wife it's typically family members that are donors yeah his uh his uh his uh core msc score uh went to 26 which is uh, normal cognition by wow. month six he was near perfect score of 29 marked improvement in mood social interaction and expressiveness um and so it's uh, case reports like those that make one interested in the field um, and want to start putting it to the test. And so yeah. what we see is butyrate, for example, which is a short chain fatty acid, which is produced from the microbial fermentation of fiber and resistant starch. So we're talking whole grains, particularly whole intact grains and legumes. Those are the two highest um, concentrated sources of fiber. They act as prebiotics to create these microbial byproducts like butyrate that, can, that then gets absorbed from the colon into your bloodstream, circulates throughout your body. Um, yeah. We know butyrate does improve the memory function of rats and mice. Um, uh, in uh, Alzheimer's patients, the microbiomes have been found yeah. to have more pro-inflammatory bugs, fewer butyrate-producing bugs. Um, uh, and the reason that we think um, this is not just a, a consequence of poorer diets among Alzheimer's patients, well, they're just not eating enough fiber, no wonder they have bad bugs, right? Is yeah. because when you transplant stool from Alzheimer's patients into mice, they have a significant detriment in their cognitive tasks. Okay. Compared to those fed fecal samples from a non-demented individual. Right, okay. So that suggests there's something about the microbiome that has a causal influence yeah. on cognitive function. Oh, that's um, really and there is actually a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial of fecal transplants for Alzheimer's disease currently underway. And so stay tuned. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Now, I'm, I'm interested to talk more. I know you've got quite a tight schedule, but let's quickly touch on the importance of physical activity then. In Absolutely. Particularly uh, things like are... mild cognitive impairment and that kind of thing. Right. So um, uh, we uh, we know that uh, mental performance can be improved across a variety of domains um, um, among even modest weight loss. And so the question was, well, wait a second, um, that there's a confounding factor of exercise. Yeah. Um, and so the American College of Sports Medicine cites meta-analyses of dozens of prospective studies, tens of thousands of people for years that does suggest more exercise um, associated with about a 40% lower risk cognitive decline um, and development of Alzheimer's disease. And apparently the more, the better. Extra 500 calories expended per week uh, appears to correlate with about an extra 10% drop in dementia risk. Wow. But it's not all or nothing. Even light physical activity like low intensity walking um, uh, has been associated with cognitive gains in about half of the studies done to date. Um, and so if indeed the relationship between exercise and dementia 
prevention is cause and effect, then as much as 20% of all cases of Alzheimer's disease in Western countries may be attributable to physical inactivity. So that's like more than a million cases of Alzheimer's just in the US alone. Um, but of course, as with all observational data, there's a, uh, there's a potential for two things, right? Confounding and reverse causation, right? Yeah. So maybe there's a shared risk factor causing both, such as atherosclerosis, okay, right? Contributing yeah. to both inactivity and dementia, or maybe those uh, genetically predisposed to exercise more have more robust cognitive reserve, um, though we don't see that from Mendelian randomization studies. Uh, but look, instead of inactivity leading to dementia, you can imagine dementia leading to inactivity, but prospective studies following people over time do show that inactivity precedes the dementia. Um, uh, uh, and uh, um, so, uh, so you can get inactivity 10 years before diagnosis, um, uh, and you see that still, the, that predictive value. Um, okay. Though when actually put to the test in interventional trials, um, so increased uh, uh, physical activity in dementia patients increases physical fitness, but disappointingly, no improvement in cognitive um, impairment. Okay. Um, and so the, the, the thought is maybe we're just not catching people early enough. Okay, but interventional yeah. trials on dementia patients does not show um, uh, cognitive improvements, does not necessarily mean exercise has nothing to do with the brain. It's just it may be too late in the disease process. Okay. I feel like this is something we could talk about for, for, for many, many hours. You know, it's, it's a topic I'm quite passionate about, but I want to just finish by, by touching on some of your other works. So like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of your book, um, How Not to Die. I've also got the How Not to Diet cookbook. The sweet potato African peanut stew is one of my favorite recipes. Oh, great. It's really delicious. But I know you've got, a, like I say, a new book coming out next year, How Not to Age. So are you able to tell us a little bit more about this? Is dementia going to feature in this book? Oh my God, dementia is the single largest chapter. Oh, and in great. fact, it could be a book in itself. Um, yeah, so right now, uh, the whole book is at 11,000 citations. So it's, it has to be cut way down. It's about twice as big as How Not to Die. It's about 1,000 pages. And the publisher refuses to publish it. <laughs> um, and so um, I suggested it be broken down into multiple volumes. They don't want to do that. So I have to cut it way back. So unfortunately, it's not going to be out till December 2023 because months of fact-checking, months of editing, Got to bring it way down. But yeah, dementia features prominently within the book. Great. And and if people want a little bit of a flavor of that, they can pick up How Not to Die. And there are chapters in that about the brain as well. Now, I just want to finish with one final question. This, this topic of diet, lifestyle, and brain health is not controversial, but it is somewhat sort of looked as a pseudoscience on, by some individuals. Some people I've spoken to, they think, oh, it's, 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 it's not powerful as a prevention strategy. It's, it's great to see more and more studies now being conducted and showing potential links between the way we live our lives in terms of diet and lifestyle and our brain health. Why do you think it's taken so long for this to become a little bit more of a mainstream message? What, you know, is, is, is just through, through lack of understanding on our part or is, is, is it a cultural issue or you know, what's, what's, what's well, the main reason is? I, I mean, I think it's a cultural medicine issue. And I think that's, uh, that's across the board for lifestyle approaches um, in general. Right. I mean, before Dr. Dean Orange's work, you know, heart disease was considered something that just got worse, worse, worse till you die. Yeah. Uh, same thing used to be thought of type two diabetes, et cetera. Why? Well, I mean, who's doing I, Where's the research coming from? Yeah. The research is coming from largely big pharma, 
Um, and so, you know, you're looking for, you know, lifestyle mess and drugs. This, this is the cash cow. It's because drugs you have to take every day for the rest of your life. This is where the money is. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, there's just no, no one benefits from, you know, having people eat fresh produce because they're the least profitable foods. They go bad. They rot on the shelf. I mean, it's just it's the, there's perverse incentives on both ends of the equation um to to not look into this but i mean if you go back just looking at some of these cross-cultural studies and the fact that you know rates of many of these chronic diseases which we kind of associate with aging um yeah. kind of inevitably with aging like raising high, raising blood pressures cognitive impairment and you realize that the rates of some of these diseases like colon cancer etc differ by literally orders of magnitude around the world yeah. and so when you see that with something like lung cancer you say ah well so it must not be something just genetic about our lungs Maybe there's something like smoking that differs from one yeah, culture yeah. to another. And so when you see the same thing with colon cancer, breast cancer, or rheumatoid arthritis, or dementia, you say, wait a second, okay, well, it can't just be an inevitable consequence of aging. And so you have the same research team. There's a research team in Pennsylvania that used the same clinical criteria in places in rural India, for example, to make sure that you're using the exact same, you know, apples to apples kind of criteria. Yeah. And you see dramatically lower um, uh, dementia rates. So the lowest um, uh, um, uh, kind of a substantiated dementia rates in the world, um, rural India, also uh, very low in Nigeria, a place that has one of the highest rates of ApoE4, you know, the so-called Alzheimer's yeah, yeah. gene. You say, wait a second, how is that possible? It's because, well, what does ApoE4 do? It's the primary cholesterol carrier in the brain. But if you have yeah. diets, they're low enough um, uh, in, uh, in, you know, things that would increase one's um, uh, cholesterol levels, like saturated fat, trans fats, and dietary cholesterol. Well, then, you know, yes, genes can, you know, load the, the, the gun, but it's environment that kind of pulls the trigger. And we have control over much of that environment. We can protect against head injury, which increases our risk of prevention. We can protect, um, uh, we can not smoke. We can, there's things we can do to prevent one of the most dreaded diseases of our time. Six leading cause of death, Alzheimer's, got bumped down by COVID to number seven in 2020, but I'm sure it's on its way back. Yeah. So there's something we can do. That's it's the not, good news. It's the number one cause in England. So, um, well, I'd, I'd say I'd like to talk to you about this for hours, but I know you've got a very busy schedule. I would encourage our listeners, if you've been interested in what you've heard today, you can find Dr. Greg on YouTube and Nutrition Facts. You can find his website, nutritionfacts.org. You'll find that all the work is heavily researched and backed up with studies. And I want to finish by just basically saying to you, Michael, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. It's been a really fascinating discussion. Enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll see you all very soon. You're also welcome. And thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Bye. Brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.